0: About that. Um, well, as I was saying, that we are still continuing in our, uh, in our, in our studies and, and thinking and series of message on the book of, of Acts, and today we are going to continue in Act 17, just uh, to help us um, have a clear mindset of what is going on and what we've been looking into throughout these seconds portion of our studies in the book of Acts, we have been looking and following Paul in his ministry uh, to go around and and proclaim the gospel. We've been exactly looking into the second missionary, what is considered the second missionary trip of Paul, which happened in Europe, in in the place exactly called Macedonia, and last week we saw Paul in Philippi. And today we are continuing in the book of, of uh, uh, in, this, in the seventh chapter, we're still continuing to look into this trip that Paul is, 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 is doing alongside other people like, uh, like uh, Silas and also even Luke to continue uh, to, to proclaim the gospel. And in this chapter 17, we are going to see exactly two moments in uh, the passage from the first moment side for verse 1 to 15 Paul goes to Thessalonica and Berea where Paul will be among those that are familiar to the God of Israel and the law of Moses and then the second movement moment in the chapter which start in verse 16 where we see Paul in Athens among those that are not so familiar with the God of the Hebrews and the law of Moses. The title of my message, as you see, is presenting the gospel with wisdom and discernment among the religious. That's a long title, I admit. Uh, I, in fact, it's very, very funny because uh, two weeks ago I was talking with Nick, and one of the same things that I was saying, see, Nick, uh, as I was giving uh, feedback on his message, said, Nick, your message was good, but your title was very, very long. <laughs> and today I find myself that that's uh, a long title that I'm bringing. But the thing is that I wanted, as I'm going through the, this chapter 17, I wanted us to be able to capture the idea of what I see in the passage that I think that it will be good for us to understand, to get as we get off out of chapter 17 in fact i will be preaching not only this sunday but next sunday again i will be continue to preach on these same chapters and what i want to do is to look to how in fact we can present the gospel with wisdom and discernment independently of the the people we are we are to come in contact with and this is important for us today to look into this passage and to look to how Paul, in fact, approaches the presenting of the gospel, depending on the, uh, on the people that is in contact with. We are not all called to be full-time missionaries. We all know that. But we are all called to be testimony of Jesus Christ to, to tell about his, his gospel, to tell about the good news, and to tell about what God has been doing in our lives. We are called to be able to articulate the gospel and to present it in a very understandable ways to the people that we talk with. Interestingly, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, our brother, Bolaji. To encourage us as a congregation and challenge us as a congregation brought to us the, um, the, 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 the thoughts that we needed to be evangelizing and how we're going to evangelize, even propose that we will go yeah. evangelizing around us, even giving whether tracks or even talking to people about the gospel. And I have to be sincere with you, like many of us, that kind of left me a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I'm not a guy that goes out and, and, and gives a track to people and say, hey, stop them on the street. Hey, get a track here in kind of two, one minute trying to present the gospel. So that kind of leaves me a little bit uncomfortable. Yet, we are all called to present the gospel. You might be like this today, feeling with the idea of evangelization, kind of feeling uncomfortable. I hope that as we go and we, 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 we tackle today, the, the Act 17, that we will be, be encouraged and challenged again to find ways to present the gospel. Because indeed, yes, we are called to, um, to present the gospel. So how Paul proceeds in doing that can actually be a good help for us. So the big idea in going out through this chapter 17 is that for us to be a good witness of Jesus Christ, we need to understand the gospel. We need to be able to present it in a comprehensive way to all kind of people. And as I said, I think and I believe that Paul's approach can help us. So let's start by reading together today, uh, at uh, 17, from verse uh, 1 to 15. When Paul and his, and his companion had passed through Amph- Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As I was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah," he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Indeed, as did a large number of good, God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But others, Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city's officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them in his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city of his officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the other postbound and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble characters than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believe and did as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowd and steering them up. The believers immediate, immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, at the and left. Weave the instruction for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Let us pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. I praise your name for this word which is true, which is reliable, and which you have given and recorded for us, for our instructions, so that through the scriptures we will be taught, edified, challenge corrected Father as we listen again together to your word today i pray that through your spirit and by your spirit you will just open our heart and our mind that you will help us to listen to you that your word will have a great impact in our lives an impact that lead us to obey lead us to put in practice the things that we we hear yes lord work through us to this morning through your word and by your holy spirit so that we will be encouraged in following you and serving you in a way that is pleasing to to you, and in proclaiming the truth of your love and care and grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I just want to break down uh, uh, the passage as as we look into it. There is a pattern that we see in the way that Paul goes on as he proceeds to, to, to proclaim the gospel. We see that Paul would always start by going into the Jewish synagogue. This is what we see in verse 1 and verse 11, as also in Acts 13. In the synagogue, he will argue from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is Lord. This, in general, will provoke a kind of response to the audience that we see in verse 4 to 5, in verse 12 to 13, From the, this response, Paul will leave when there is, when rise opposition uproar up in the goal that this will not be a hindrance to the, to the message that is being preached. I want to make three points uh, from this passage as we go through it together. What I want to stress out as we, as we, we look to the passage is that the scriptures are of great importance to reveal to us the person of Jesus Christ. And then, as we're talking about proclaiming and and preaching the gospel and presenting the gospel, what exactly is the gospel? To be able to understand it and articulate it, it's very, very important. And also to look to How important it is for us to listen, or how, in fact, do we listen when either a new ideology or the Scripture are presented to us? How it's important for us to listen well with an open mind and a readiness to examine the things that are presented to us. And then I will end with a conclusion. So verse 17, 2 and 4 tells us that as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on the three Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And then verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with a great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul would say was true. So Paul will proclaim and say that the Messiah had to suffer and resurrect. That was a key note in his presenting of his gospel, the gospel. In fact, in, even in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 3, it says the same thing. For I have re- for what I have received, I pass unto you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. The scriptures Paul is referring to here is the Tanakh, the Jewish writings, which englobes Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So if Paul argues that the scriptures are telling about the Messiah's death, suffering, and resurrection, one of the questions that we we can ask, and surely did the crowd of his time, are the scriptures talking about the Messiah? Do the scripture actually talk or say, say something about the life of the Messiah? To us today at the, first, at the 21st chapter, uh, century, knowing the, uh, the New Testament, that might sound strange. That I might ask this question, does the scriptures in fact talk about the Messiah? We have the New Testament. They had what we call the Old Testament. It is estimated by the uh, C.S. Lewis Institute that most Greek, most uh, Hebrews, and Christian theologian consider that 800 verses in the Hebrew Scriptures refers to the Messiah. From these eight hundred uh, verses, five hundreds refers and talks about his reign. That's a lot. The Messiah is supposed to be a human being who was promised, who is promised by God to accomplish his divine will. Through this person, God will reign and his plans will be accomplished. He will establish a reign of peace and prosperity all over the world that will endure. That's what the Messiah is presented in the scriptures. I, was, I find it very interesting and I started to search, in fact, through all the uh, the uh, the whole testament some of these passages that actually talks about the messiah there are many of them i cannot bring all of them to you this morning but at least i think that okay i thought okay let me at least bring 15 from these 15 i won't list all of them but i'll give you eight genesis 3:15 14 to 15 the Messiah will be a descendant of Eve, a human being who will oppose Satan and destroy his work. Deuteronomy 18, 1-20. The Messiah will exercise the office of a prophet as important as Moses was. Isaiah 7, 14. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. As I hear that, as I said, you might be very familiar with all of these passages I'm referring to. Isaiah 1. One to ten and jeremiah twenty three five the Messiah will be from the, will be born from the line of David and will rule with righteousness and knowledge of God he will establish a reign of peace and justice isaiah fifty two thirteen to fifty three a well known passage to many of us the Messiah will suffer and be despised by his own people he will bear a sin and Receive the punishment of God for them. He will die and be laid on the grave of a rich person. God will raise him back from the dead. Then in 7, 8, 1 to 28, Messiah's kingdom will be forever and over all the kingdom of the earth. Then in 9, 24 to 27, the Messiah will come at a period of great turmoil for Israel. In the period of time, which is comprised between the age of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the second destruction of the temple. He will be killed, and after his death, the temple will be destroyed. It is understood that this prophecy was accomplished in AD 70 by the Romans under the emperor Titus, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Micah 8, the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And I can go on and go on and go on and go on. The point is, and I want to make, is that as we look through this, all these passages, we cannot deny that the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, talks about the Messiah, present the Messiah, foretells about the... Paint a picture of the Messiah. Question is, does Jesus of Nazareth that Paul is proclaiming corresponds to the Messiah? Does he pass the test of the scriptures that are presented about the Messiah? Now there is a Christian mathematician who is called Peter Stone, Stoner, you might have heard of him, I don't know. But in his book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner says that to apply the modern science of probability to just eight of these prophecies, we find that the chance that any man might have lived to the present time and fulfill all eight prophecies is of one over ten at the power seventeen. That means you have seventeen zero after the one. The probability that one man will accomplish forty eight of his prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures jump from one to one to in from what the number one of 1 to over 10 at power 17 to 1 over power 170 uh, 157 that's 157 zeros after the one that's a huge number almost saying that it's almost impossible now jesus attest over and over that he is the Messiah and that the scriptures talks about him. He says in John 5, 39 and 40, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testifies about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to live. But do not think that I accuse you before the Father, your accuser is Moses, on whom you have, you have your hope set. If you believed Moses, you will believe me, for He wrote about me. But since you do not believe what He wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? The same idea, the same claim is made in Luke 24 24:44. He said, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, to respond to the question, does Jesus Christ or the Jesus of Nazareth pass the test of the Messiah? We just need to look beyond his claim to some of the events of his life. Events, some of the events that he will. Had a uh, voluntary fulfill or involuntary happen in his life. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the city of David. We found that in Matthew two, one to seven, John two forty-two, in Luke 1, 26 and thirty-three, Jesus was born of a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew seventeen five, Jesus is declared Son of God by God himself. In Luke 34, 37, he, endured voluntary, he entered voluntary Jerusalem on a donkey to fulfill a prophecy. On Matthew 26, 15, Jesus', li- Jesus life is esteemed 30 pieces of money, of silver, at his betrayal. John 19, 20, 20, 28, Jesus is unjustly Accused, humiliated, crucified, his hands, his feet are pierced. On the cross, he cries the, the Psalms 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is offered vinegar to drink, as we read in Matthew 27, 38, 34. His clothes are divided by lot while he hangs on the tree. Matthew 27, 30, 35. The bones of his feet are not broken as it will happen to most of the condemned in John 29, 33 to 36. It will be pierced on his side, John 19, 39, 37. His body is laid on the tomb of a rich man in Matthew 27, 35, 57 to 60. His body Will, nest, will not stay on the tomb for more than three days because God will rise, rise him from the dead in Luke 27, 9, 1 to 8. Forty days after that, Jesus will be taken in heaven in Act 19, in Act 1, 9 to 10. It is calculated that Jesus didn't only fulfill eight prophecies. He didn't just fulfill 48 prophecy. he fulfilled throughout, during his lifetime, 324 prophecies, more than 334 prophecies. Some prophecies are not yet completed, as we know. Jesus talks about, some of the prophecies talks about the coming of the Messiah, the return of the Messiah, the, when the Messiah will come in glory. The point is that when Paul says, Jesus is the Messiah that I'm proclaiming to you. There is great evidence of that fact. And we can rest assured of that. Now, all these are very important for us. As I said a couple of times before, we Christians living in the 21st century, most of the time we look to the New Testament. As we think about Jesus, as we we want to learn about Jesus. We look to the New Testament. We look to the, the, the Gospels and the writings of the apostles. These apostles and these first Christians at their time didn't have what we call the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. How many times do we read the Old Testament and just pass through and even say it's not relevant for us? If you are a Christian, if you are here today and you think that the whole Testament is not re- is not relevant for you, I just want to encourage you to reconsider your position and your view of the whole Testament, because all these are what God or the scripture that God has given us to reveal to us His Son and his messiah it's very interesting because that's exactly what the, the author of Hebrews did. It's astonishing to see how only in looking on the whole Testament he's able to get a great understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what, just what he says in Hebrews 1, the verse 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to us, to our ancestors, through the prophets at many, many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heirs of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. My point is that if we study, and by studying the whole Testament, we can get great understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus said that the scriptures talks about him. Moses talks about him. That means that when Moses wrote what we consider the five book, the Pentateuch, everything that he was revealing about God is revealing about Jesus Christ. So coming to the question, what is the gospel? Sometimes we hear the word of God. Sometimes we hear the the gospel of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we can hear the gospel of God or even the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The Greek word is evangelion, which means good news. The gospel, the way I understand it, is and starts with God, His majesty and His goodness. The revelation of our human corruption and human disobedience toward God. And how this God plans to save and restore the entire creation that He has made. And His plan for restoration and for salvation passed through and happens through the work and the ministry of his son the messiah jesus christ when i say the work and the ministry of the son jesus christ i'm talking about his his work in creation his work in his suffering in coming as a human being suffering for our sins dying on the cross going up to heaven and now still continuing to minister to his church and in the world. Basing on Act 13, I've kind of put up to you there, if we have to sum up the gospel that Paul was preaching from the scripture, this is what is the gospel. And I hope that as you listen to it, if you are not a Christian, that you might understand what, who God is, what he has done, what he desires for you, And how you can indeed come to know God through Jesus Christ. For God has brought from us, from the line of David, a savior, Jesus Christ, who he has promised. By doing so, he has accomplished the promise that he has given to our forefathers. It is to us children, not only the children of Abraham, but also the god feared Gentile, that this message of salvation is sent. What God has, has promised, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by rising Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is written in the Psalms, you are my son today, I have become your father. Therefore, my dear friends, I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, is proclaimed to you. That through him, everyone who believes, that means you too, can have freedom from your sins. The justification that you cannot acquire, either by you trying to obey the law, to respect everything that God has done, or either you by trying to live a moral life that you think pure and blameless. Even a life that you will say that, I don't do any harm to anybody. This kind of life will never make you just before God. Because you are a sinner. And by your own your work, you cannot save yourself. You cannot pay to God the price of the punishment that you deserve for disobeying and for going against his majesty. He is the creator of the universe. He is the maker for everything that here. His majesty is beyond what we can imagine it. Now, I know that if somebody goes and, and, and insults now can say the king of England, because I, in a few times I will, I, will, I will say the, the queen of England, at a time, yes, his punishment will be big. Now, how much punishment do you think that deserves the one who goes and insults the majesty of the living God? Yet Christ died for such disobedience and rebellion. So that you will be able to enter into the grace and the favor of the mighty God. That is the gospel. But the gospel doesn't stop there. It talks also about the kingship of Christ. Interestingly, as we look here, we see that this is what we're saying in verse 17. And Jason has welcomed them in his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree saying that there is another king. One called Jesus. You see, when they heard that, they were all in turmoil because Caesar is considered king. To say at that time that there was another king out of Caesar was considered treason. And that was the accusation that they brought before the officials that the gospel is proclaiming another king. Jews in general throughout their history always refused to bow to another king because they thought and they understood that God, the creator of the universe, is the true king, the only one who is worthy of worship. So at that time, the Romans accepted that the Jewish will not worship the Roman emperor. Now the Christians are coming with a message, Jesus is king, proclaiming that indeed there is another king. And as we saw, yes, the Messiah is king, king over all the king of the earth. That is a great turmoil. That is a great disturbance. Even today in countries where we see despots and, 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 um, comment on the encore, the dictator, the gospel is a threat. Because he introduced the idea that there is somebody who is more powerful, greater than the one that people are afraid of, are looking into. How do we listen? How do you listen? It is says that in verse uh, 17, 5, uh, in verse 5. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. Verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble characters than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Bereans as qualified as being more noble when they are compared to the Thessalonians. The reason being that their attitude in listening to what was presented to them was different from what the one of the of the of the um, of the Thessalonians. Interestingly, it seems that this Thessalonian had a heart of contentions—people that were not open to listen, but very, very close-minded and not ready to accept what Paul was, was bringing. That will leave them uncomfortable, and not only in, they will not only accept but go ahead, even now, to to um, to provoke riots, to go against him. Interestingly, when Paul will write to the Thessalonians in his epistle, he will tell them to not give, to not, um, to not uh, uh, dismiss the prophecies, but to listen, to study, to carefully examine everything that is presented to them. In Proverbs five, we see it. We see that it said, "Let the wise listen and add to their learning." And let the, the dis, let the discerning get guidance. So, the idea is that as we listen, we need to listen with the, with the mindset of receiving what is presented to us. Moreover, what, when it is the gospel, the word of God, not being contentious, not being quick to dismiss what I'm receiving. Whether a new idea that I've never heard of, a new ideology that is presented to to me, it might leave me uncomfortable, but wisdom calls me to listen with attention, to welcome what is presented to me. By welcoming, that doesn't mean that I am embracing and defending what is presented to me. And I'm receiving it, and then... I take the time to examine what is presented to me. To see either what is presented to me is actually true, worthy to be defended, or to be rejected. And this is exactly what we see in the Thessalonians. They receive, they examined, and then they made a decision. Interestingly, as we look to the response in Thessalonian and the response in uh, the Berean, we see that more people believed among the Berean than the Thessalonian, And I believe this is due to the mindset, the attitude in which we were listening. My point is that if we want to be good presenter of the gospel, we also need to be People that listen with also the mindset of discernment and the mindset of looking, studying what is presented to us. In this way we will be able to either defend, say, Yes, I stand for what is presented to me. No, I cannot stand for this because it goes totally against what I understand to be right because of this. This, this, this. And here, in this claim or in this ideology that is bringing to me, that goes in contrary to this. So, my brother, this is the message that I have in our heart today. How important it is for us to really know the scriptures. We need to take time to study the scripture, we need to love our scriptures through them jesus says that the scriptures talks about him through them we will find christ and god will help us to find christ in a way that maybe we have never found him before with the scripture and through the scripture we will be able to present the gospel amen let us pray together lord we commit the rest of our time to you we commit the words what we have heard of now to you and pray that Lord you will just continue to as we listen and ponder over these things that you will just enlighten our heart and our souls that you will confirm what is true that you will even um, show what is not true where it's not true and how we can correct it we thank you for your word thank you for the gospel which is revealed to us through your Scriptures, so that we'll be familiar with your Word, know you and grow in you. We present the rest of our morning of our, of our day to you and pray that you will bless us as we go home in Jesus name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, you are dismissed.